Suicide a Sin. That was given to me last year. Uh, I have been holding it back to where I could give it enough time to be able to answer it. And, and like always, um, I'm going to do my best to not interject any of my opinions, but rather speak from what the Bible has given us and uh, use the information that God has given us to answer that question. So I want to invite you back tonight uh, as we cover that particular question. Um, I'm very thankful. The material this morning for the teen class went uh, awesome. I hope all of our other classes went great too. We're starting that new curriculum um, and it's a joy to uh, be able to have all of that and to make sure just all of our classes are really teaching the same thing just at different levels and we want to invite you, if you have your young people, to uh, involve them in our Bible classes. Uh, we have classes on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. and also Wednesday evenings uh, at 6 p.m. for our young people. So please uh, bring them to that. It's a, a great, and our teachers do a great job of uh, really preparing and, and making it fun and very knowledgeable for our young people. Um, very excited to start this morning with our theme sermon uh, the idea of becoming one. That is our, our theme for this year, uh, for this congregation, becoming one. And, and throughout this year, there's going to be sermons at the beginning of every month that talk about that theme. Uh, this morning, we're going to spend some time in Ephesians 2, verses 19 through 22, a great passage to talk about a, a unified church and, and the benefits of a unified church. Um, and so I hope that throughout this year we focus on that. We also, I think James mentioned, there's the T-shirt order form in the back uh, for shirts that will go along with this year's theme and um, we'll be able to have as a, a remembrance of this year and everything like that. Uh, feel free to sign up in the back. I'm going to try and take those up in the next uh, week or so and be able to get those ordered. If you talk to any coach, they will tell you, uh, a team will never be successful if they are divided, right? And so that's why year after year, coaches in every sort of sport, male and female, will spend countless hours, countless effort to try and create a unity between a team, right? Uh, and so a lot of times maybe a coach will uh, come up with a phrase. Uh, there was the famous phrase that I, I think Auburn had all in, right? And it didn't start with them. But it was remembered because that team was a very unified team back in the day, and nobody really gave them any credit, but they were able to win, right? And they'll come up with a phrase to try and unify a team around, or maybe uh, uh, an organization to try and help their team become unified will spend lots of money hiring in motivational speakers to come in and try to really motivate them to be a unified group. When I started thinking about this and what coaches went through, I was reminded of one of my favorite football movies, Remember the Titans, right? And they had a lot of issues with division. One of those was the color of their skin. And so what Coach Herb Boone did was make sure he did something to help create a unified team. He got them up super early in the morning during their team camp, and they went on a run. And during this run, of course, if you run ever, you get tired, and so they all had to push through together, and then he brought them to the cemetery at Gettysburg and explained to them this whole idea of why it was so important for them to be one, right? And you saw there was successes in that team as they became a unified group. Now, as we go throughout this sermon series, 
don't worry. I'm not going to wake anybody up to go on early morning run. Um, you don't have to worry about that for me. But I want to spend some time going through God's word together. That way we can see this idea of how important it is to be a one church, a unified church, and being together. Now, again, it's not like there's an issue in this congregation, and that's why this is a theme. But this is always going to be a, a major role in any congregation that you attend is to focus on the idea of becoming more of a family. And that's why we'll be in this passage this morning in Ephesians chapter 2. Notice what is said in the text here, and we'll be breaking this down, and we'll notice some pretty cool things that uh, Paul talks about. He says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, but on the foundation, built on the foundation on the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now the first thing I hope you notice is who is Paul talking to? That's the composer of this letter, right? You can find that out in chapter 1, uh, verse 1. But he's writing to Christians, right, saints um, that are commonly known to be living in Ephesus is what this uh, letter is addressed to. So we have these Christian people in the first century that Paul is writing this letter to, right? And, and so he starts talking about all these different things, but what's really cool, if you notice, is that there's four important structures that are mentioned in this passage. Now, being, being the preacher that I am, I have a four-point sermon right there. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning, is these four important structures that are discussed and how they really express this idea of being one, becoming one, and being this unified congregation and the benefits from it. So notice number one. He says, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. What comes to your mind when you start to think of a household? You may start thinking to yourself, well, people with the same last name. Certainly, that should come to mind. Maybe you just start thinking of everyone, right? Uh, you start thinking of uh, all the different people that you just had over to your house over the holidays. You've got all those really interesting aunts on mom's side that got to come over and you got to be around. And dad's side always seems to have the coolest uncles who seem to sneak you gifts, right? Uh, those really cool uncles who always seem to have candy in their pocket, and so you like to be around them. And then a part of that household, you've got grandpa who comes to every family event, but he sits down in a chair and he starts snoring immediately. Or, and then you also have uh, the grandma who will always have mints in her purse. The only problem is, is when you realize you took that mint and you started eating it, it tastes like the inside of her purse because it's probably been there for two or three years, right? And what's so fun is that we have these big households, right? We have the same last name or, or maybe it's our maiden name or something along those lines. And it's made up of all these different people, right? But we're a family and that's what the church is about, right? And you start to think of one of uh, a famous household. Maybe you're familiar with this group. Um, if you're like me, you are. If you grew up back in the day, which for me uh, was probably not as far back as some here, but this is the TV show Full House, right? And you start to think of this household. 
you had uh, the cool comedian Uncle Joey, right? You also had the rocker uh, Uncle Jesse. You had dad who was a widowed uh, dad of three young girls, and each of those girls had their own personalities. And they had friends who had their own personalities, and they were involved with people with their own personality. But what it did was it was this bunch. Yes, they were different, but they made a family. And that's just like the church. Notice what Paul says. He says, you once were strangers and aliens. He's talking to Gentiles here, and he's letting them know you were different. You weren't a part of the household. Y'all weren't members, but now you are, right? Uh, Multiple times he uses big contrasts in this chapter. In chapter 2, verse 4, he talks about how God took us uh, from these uh, sinning people and these different people and these people that weren't in a relationship with him and talks about how he was able through his power and love and and mercy to put us alive, to make us alive, to uh, raise us in all of these different things. And we also know that Christ, uh, later on in chapter 2 in the middle section of it, how Christ was able to give hope to the Gentiles. He broke down that wall of enmity, that wall of hostility, which was the law. And he took two different people groups, the Jews and the Gentiles, and brought them together, right? And that's what he's trying to let them know here. You're no longer strangers and aliens, right? And some of us know that if you married into a big family that uh, really was a tight-knit group and you married into it, sometimes you felt like a stranger and alien, right? But they brought you in. And that's what God's trying to say here. You're no longer that, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. See, that's an important structure when you start to think about the church, about God's family, is it that it is a family, right? Yes, we're all different. We all have different personalities, but we're all in the same mission, right? Uh, we have the people who have mints in their back in their bags we have the granddads that fall asleep we have the cool uncles we have the cool mom and dad we have the strict mom and dads we have the the young kids who want to play sports we have all of these different personalities but we're a household we're a family and that's what's so important we're not strangers to each other or at least we shouldn't be because sometimes you do go to congregations who claim to be a household yet they don't even know each other's names they don't know who each other are And we don't want that here. We want to be that group of people who come from different walks of life, but we make up a family. And so uh, that's going to be so important for us. So not only is there a household of God, but notice the second structure that is so important. This household of God is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure is. Right? What is this structure built upon? When you start thinking about what is the most important part to a house, to a structure, well, it's the foundation, right? Because if you don't have a a solid foundation, what happens to the structure on top of it? Oh, you're in a big trouble, right? Uh, That structure will ultimately crumble and just topple down as it gets bigger and bigger. And so when you look at what is the largest building in the world, right, Uh, this building is the Burj Khalifa in Dubai. It rises more than 2,700 feet, and that's over half a mile tall. It has 160 floors, is twice as tall as the Empire State Building in New York City. It is home to the world's 
uh, fastest elevator, this is a cool fact, that travels at 40 miles per hour. That's wild. I feel like you're shooting out of the top of that thing. Um, the Burj Khalifa also hosts the world's highest uh, outdoor observation deck on the 124th floor and the world's highest swimming pool. Y'all can have at that. But the secret to the stability of this massive building is found underground. Before construction began to rise up, workers spent a year digging and pouring the massive foundation that supports the building. The foundation contains 58,900 cubic yards of concrete weighing more than 110,000 tons. The building is safe because the foundation is solid. God's structure, God's church can be solid too if you build upon the right foundation. And what Paul lets us know here is what that foundation is. Notice it's built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ being the cornerstone, the one that sets everything up, right? And that's what that cornerstone it is, is that first part that goes in that makes sure everything building off of that's correct. And so you have what is the New Testament that helps us understand how to build God's church. The Old Testament's just as important. We understand who God is in the Old Testament and how he loves his people and his mercy and his patience and also his justness, right? But how to build the church is explained to us in the foundation that the apostles and prophets laid, right? That's why you have the book of Acts. That's why you have the letters from Paul. That's why you have the gospels in the New Testament because Jesus is going throughout his ministry teaching, right? He's ushering in this new covenant, this, this big revolution of here is God coming back to his people, fulfilling prophecies, and here's some teachings that I'm trying to give you. And he's explaining all this and laying the foundation. And so that's why it's so important for us to really study and really build ourselves on the right foundation. Because if we don't, we could grow to be one of the largest churches in this area. But if we have the wrong foundation, what's going to happen? It's going to crumble. And you may see that all the time in the news with all these mega churches around. They get so huge and all of a sudden the pastors just say, I'm leaving. I can't be a part of this anymore because it's, it's not what God intended. Well, what would you start building upon, right? You started building upon the round, wrong foundation and that's why it started to crumble. You have churches that have all of this different fraud. You have all of these different things because they've built themselves on the wrong foundation. Our goal here as we are growing and becoming one is to always make sure we're using the right foundation. We're using what the apostles and prophets wrote down for us in the New Testament. We're building our congregation. We're blueprinting our lives off of what they've given us, not coming up with our own thing, not trying to do what we want to do, but rather look to what God wants for us so we can grow in to this whole structure. That way we can be building upon the right foundation. So that is our second important structure we find in what really we're building ourselves upon. Notice the third uh, important structure that we see. So you have this household. You have this household building on the right foundation, right? Now notice what that foundation grows into. It's being joined together and it grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Now, I want you to start to think about this idea because you may be thinking, well, how does that happen? 
Now, I don't think really the idea of the temple is the important part, but more importantly, the description of that temple. What kind of temple is he talking about? A holy temple, a temple that's set apart, a temple that's dedicated to God, a a, a temple that is devoted to God. That's what he wants. He doesn't want just a temple to be built. He doesn't want just a massive amount of people claiming his name to be built. He wants a holy temple to be built, right? Because we had that back in the day. The Jews had a temple. This is from Free Bible Images, right? Um, I tried to find a cooler one, but this is as cool as it gets in my book, right? What did Jesus do in Matthew 21? We see it all the time when we talk about when Jesus got angry. Why did he get angry? What were the Jewish people doing to his father's house? Treating it as a den of robbers. Were they treating it as a holy temple? Were they treating it as a people that should be set apart for God? No, it was just a temple. It was just a massive, really big structure that was supposed to be where God's people were, but it wasn't. You see, it's important for us to be this holy temple. It's important for us to not just be a temple for God, a group of people that claim to know God's name, but also to be this people that is a holy temple, a people that's building on the right foundation, a people that's becoming a family, right? A family that doesn't have secrets, a family that asks for help, a family that encourages one another. And so uh, the most important part about this idea of growing to a holy temple is the holy part itself. We want to strive to be devoted, dedicated, set apart for God's work and his kingdom and not look like this temple that's just in the world. This temple that's just, man, that looks like a really good place to go. Well, that's a really different people that go there. That's a people that's holy. That's a people that's really working for the Lord and striving to grow his kingdom and to be one in his kingdom. The last important structure we'll find in this passage is notice we've got this household, this family, no longer strangers and aliens, but members and uh, fellow citizens. They're building on the right foundation, right? They're using the New Testament to see how Jesus wants his church built. They're using the apostles and the prophets' help to understand, okay, this is where this congregation messed up, and this is how we can be better. We're using all of that. We're going into this structure, building on the right foundation. We've become in this holy temple. And notice what is so awesome about this. And this is that theme verse we have for the year. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. When you start to think about what all the work is for, why we want to become one, this is the very reason we do that. Because once you have a unified congregation, once you have a a congregation building themselves together, becoming that family, becoming that holy temple, what do we become? God's dwelling place. How cool is that? When you start to read through uh, the book of Revelation, you find in the very first part, it seems a little different than the rest of the letter. But you notice that there's these revelations made or or these messages given to seven churches, right? And God or Jesus talks about how, hey, uh, there's a lampstand among you, right? It's the, the Holy Spirit 
the dwelling, the, God's presence in the congregation that makes them a church. And he talks to the church at Ephesus, kind of seems fitting here, right? And in that message, they had some issues. They had lost their first love. And so their message, their admonition was, hey, you need to repent. You need to get back to what you used to be doing. You need to get back to uh, working for the Lord, whatever it may have been. Some people think they lost their love of evangelism, right? That could have been it. But ultimately, what God says is you need to repent. You need to get back to that or else I'm going to remove my lampstand. I'm no longer going to dwell with you. I'm no longer gonna, going to be amongst that church. Could you imagine being a part of that congregation? Could you imagine being a part of a congregation that's not a dwelling place for God? I don't want to be a part of that. And I know none of y'all do either. And so that's why this message is so important but so awesome. Because a unified church, a church that becomes one, becomes that dwelling place for God by the Spirit. We get to have His lampstand helping us shine the light in the communities around us. In Brookwood and Blockton and in Coling and Vance and Lakeview and all of these different areas because we're a unified congregation. Some of the greatest comments I hear about this congregation is they come in and, man, those people are so nice. I, I feel like I'm a part of a family when I come into that place. I have so many people talk to me. I have so many people greeting me. Y'all seem like y'all really love each other there because we do. Because we strive to be this household. We strive to be one. We strive to be unified because more importantly, we want to be this dwelling place for God. So what does it look like to become one? We talked about it, right? It's being one household. It's being one structure built on the one foundation. It's being one holy temple, and it's being that one dwelling place for God. As we close this morning, I want to tell you about something I heard the other day uh, while studying for this sermon. One of the strongest breeds of horses is the Belgian draft horses. Those things are humongous. One Belgian draft horse by itself can pull 8,000 pounds. That's a lot. Now, when I say you've got two Belgian draft horses, how much do you think they can pull? Obviously, you're thinking to yourself, I've got this, 16,000 pounds. And you would be wrong. Because when you have two Belgian draft horses who have grown up together, who have learned together, and who have become a, a, a pulling unit together, they can pull up to 32,000 pounds. That's very impressive. But it only happens because they're together and doing it. Now imagine with me, how much could we do for God's kingdom if we're doing it together? Certainly we can do it individually. But if we're trying to do it individually, it's not going to be much. But what happens if we do it together? What could we do together if we are this one congregation trying to impact these communities around us? As we end this sermon, I want to end with a prayer that kind of helps us kick off this year with this theme. We pray with me. God in heaven, we love you and we thank you so very much for this morning, for these people, for these souls. God, we are so thankful for uh, this congregation for the oneness that is already seen here. And God, we are, are praying that you will be with us and you will guide us as we strive to be closer, as we strive to be a, a better family, as we strive to be uh, trying to impact these communities around us. 
God, thank you for those who are visiting with us. I hope they see the family that's here, the love that's here. And God, I pray that we can help those around us in, in any way. God, we pray that we become one throughout this year. And with your help and your dwelling here, we can do many things. Father, thank you so much for this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here this morning and you would like to respond to the invitation, maybe that response is that uh, you want to ask for prayers. Maybe it's encouragement that you need to, to keep going. Uh, we would love to pray with you. Or maybe you're here this morning and you've realized through study, maybe you've been sitting and studying with somebody that uh, you're ready to become a Christian. We see that in the New Testament, which is the foundation we're building ourselves upon. That belief is a part of that. You've got to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is that Messiah, the Savior, right? And by believing in his name, we also see that there's repentance that needs to take place. There's a change, right? We were those awful people. Paul talks about it in the beginning of Ephesians 2, those sinful people who were living according to the desires of the world. So there needs to be a repentance that happens. And we also want to confess Jesus as our Lord. Make it known. God is my master now, not me. And we also see in the New Testament multiple times where water baptism needs to take place. Why? Just because we want to do it? No. Because water baptism is the point at which our sins are washed away. Paul will talk about that in Acts chapter 22, verse 16, as Ananias comes to him and tells him he needs to do that. See, that's where we make ourselves clean. We take the, the sinful filth off of us, and we can reunite ourselves with God. Maybe you need to do that this morning. If you have a need, we'd love for you to come while we stand and sing the song of invitation. Bring Christ.